Hey, Andy, this is Sammy. And you're, good. You're, good. Uh, you're able to hang out with me even though it's the Academy Awards tonight. Don't you have any friends oh. or anything uh, maybe, maybe my, nominated? My wife, my, my wife and I are watching, uh, but I, I got, it was funny. I was, I was talking to my wife. I'm not a big award show fan. I don't know. I've just never been like a, a big award show fan. So we're, we're kind of casually watching, but there's not, nothing that I am uh, blown away. The two, my two favorite movies of this year were um, uh, Dolomite is My Name and uh, Uncut Eddie. Gems. And they were, and they were both uh, snubbed. Mm-hmm. So. Both comedians, though. Oh, yeah. For sure, for sure, and I just I, I thought both those movies were just freaking brilliant. Mm-hmm. So, what are you gonna do? Yeah. So we'll get started if that's cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yo, welcome to my summer layer. I am your host Sammy Yunan, and I'm joined by Andy Palmer, whose latest horror movie is Camp Colebrook. Of course, as you know, for most horror movies, nothing bad ever happens to people who go camping, right? It's the uh, 40th anniversary of Friday the 13th. It came out in 1980, surprisingly. Uh, so if people were going to go to summer camp, would they have a better chance of surviving Camp Crystal Lake or Camp Coldbrook? Well, I, you know, listen, Jason, Jason's a badass. Yeah. There's no, no doubt about that. He has, uh, he has clear-cut a lot of... Uh, <laughs> a lot of but, uh, you know, the thing about Coldbrook is that you have not one scary uh now scary person but you have uh, a witch mm-hmm. who lives on the outskirts of uh, town and then you also have 30 uh 30 dead campers so i i just think the numbers are in our favor i think it's a numbers game and i i gotta tell you I'd, I'd i'd much rather dodge one scary slasher with a hockey mask than uh you know an entire camp of of, of ghost children you know <laughs> is that gonna be the tagline for the movie that's right that's right <laughs> Scarier, scarier than one guy in a hockey mask. That's, uh, that, that is it. That is it. So, yeah. So you've alluded already to the uh, to the witch and the uh, 30 dead campers. Can you just give us a breakdown of what the legend of Camp Coldbrook is? Yeah. So the uh, the idea of uh, Camp Coldbrook, uh, and, and it's funny, the idea of the, the witch in East Bernadou uh, is, a, is a bit of a true story. So the writer, um, Alex Carl, when he was a kid, would uh, go up to this camp. It was it was in Coldbrook, you know, upstate New York, and um, uh, their parents, his parents, did this like with a group of other families. Did this like kind of like very like serious. I don't, I don't want to say competitive because it wasn't like a contest, but they were like very avid square dancers, <laughs> and they would uh, they would take all their families up for the weekend. And I guess this camp had a had a big had a big hall that. Uh, they could go and they would square dance. And so he said that the, at night the, the parents would uh, retire to the hall and do their dancing, and the kids would just kind of – they had kind of free reign of this camp. And he said that he and a bunch of his friends were sitting in their, uh, in their camper that night, one night, and he, he looks out the window, and, you know, just kind of almost square in the frame of the house is this woman, and it just terrified him. And so, you know, he, it freaked him out, freaked all the kids out, and they go running into the, the thing, and they basically – are told this story of, of this woman, Anise, that supposedly is a witch that lives on the outskirts of the, of the town. And it really mm-hmm. stuck with him. I think he said he was eight when it happened. So, you know, it stuck with him his entire life. And so he kind of crafted this story. And it's about a, uh, it's about a you know, a religious camp that um, the, the patrons one, one afternoon accidentally run over the daughter of this, of this woman that, uh, you know, has questionable ties to the occult on the outskirts of town. 
and uh, and they refuse to to help her and help her child, and so she decides that she's going to exact revenge on on their children. And uh, you know, we pay for the sins of our father, the classic horror movie trope. Mm-hmm. And um, she uh, she bewitches them and forces them to drown themselves in the uh, in the creek near near Coldbrook. And so we flash forward 20 years to a uh, a ghost hunting reality television show that's on its last legs, about to get canceled. And um, in kind of a hail mary attempt to to save the show, uh, the host you know opens up the he opens up the floor to his employees and says, where can we go that nobody's ever heard of? Some, some story that's going to really bring us back. And one of his employees uh, says that, the, that somebody had posted on, the, on their fan site about Coldbrook. And so they decide to go out for a scout uh, to see, you know, if it's worth doing a show about. And uh, once they get there, it is certainly worth doing a show about if they can, you know, escape. That's always the final thing, right? If you got to make it the sun, right. sun up. That's right. You got to you got to you got to make it out of there. And, uh, you know, there's plenty of plenty of things standing in their way, you know, and, and even it was funny because we it was written to the script. But I was I was visiting with Alex a couple of weeks ago and he was talking about he went back to Coldbrook uh, as an adult. And it's not uh, it's privately owned now. And he kind of snuck in. But he said that you couldn't see it from the road. It was one of these things where surrounding the camp it was just completely overgrown the road that 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 used to take to get in there had been filled in and stuff like that but he kind of snuck in and walked in and he said once he got there somebody is is keeping it up because it was like it was like frozen in time but the like the grass is mowed and there's no there's no uh degradation to the buildings and stuff like that and it was you know kind of eerie that you know the world had kind of shut it off Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was been shut off to the outside world, but it, but it existed and it was kind of still in time. And we created that same sort of that same sort of vibe is like whatever happened that night, the camp just stayed that way. You know, it wasn't, you know, and it was just kind of like locked in time and stuff like that. Yeah. Camps are interesting because they are sort of out of time and out of place. Right. Because there's no like, you yeah, go there to like use Wi-Fi or computers or anything like that. Right. You're just like swimming, canoeing and like nature things and trees and stuff like they don't really necessarily kind of age. It always looks the same. They're just out of time. Well, and and it's a perfect, and it's a perfect backdrop because that's the, that's the real trick in any horror movie now is the cell phone is the ultimate bailout, you know? And so it's like the, the, the secret in any horror movie now is how do we get rid of cell phones? You know, what, what do we, what, how do we justify getting rid of this technology that can, you know, help us, help us easily escape something. And Mm -hmm. so that, that backdrop of them, being there uh, is great because they are, they're isolated. And then the sheriff says, he says, you know, I don't have the resources to, you know, bail you guys out if, you know, if something goes wrong up there and uh, they, they sort of, uh, you know, laugh that off. They've been to, I'm sure, uh, you know, three seasons of, of creepy, creepy places, but uh, this, this camp is different for sure. Yeah. Did you watch any of these kind of like uh, ghost hunters or these kind of paranormal type of haunted house TV shows that have been cropping up the last couple of years? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, there's definitely, there's definitely some good shout outs to that. You know, the the first scene when Jack Jack sees something down down near the dining hall, and he goes out with the camera, and you know, he's doing his very kind of official, uh, you know, official uh, haunt squad sort of intro and stuff like that. And I actually came up in reality television. I I still edit reality television and stuff like that. And so uh, I def- I know kind of the behind the scenes and 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 what it you know what it's like. What's the reality versus versus uh mm-hmm. you know what goes on to, what goes on in the camera and what you see in the movie is that you know these guys they they've never 
they've never seen anything. And so when they get there, they kind of set stuff up and then they're just sitting around the campfire drinking. And it's like, you know, it's just, it, it's just, this, it's kind of like this summer camp in and of itself. But then the camera goes on and, you know, he's like, Jack Wilson here for Han Squad, you know, <laughs> yeah. he goes, he goes into that mode. And that's what, that's what all these, you know, that's what all these shows do and stuff like that, where it's just like, you're trying to, you're trying to build the suspense out of really what inevitably almost always is, is absolutely nothing, you know? So he's, it's all these, it's all these things where he's like something very, there's a, there's a smell of sulfur in the, you know, like it's, <laughs> it's like they're doing all these things to try to get the audience to be like, dude, something is there, you yeah. know? It's a good callback as well to like Blair Witch, right? Where they kind of turn the cameras on themselves and they were like, I hear something coming and it's creepy and you can hear the wood snap, the twigs and stuff snapping like, Yep, absolutely. It's the there's something there, but I don't know what it is. But because the camera's on them, they're doing like a selfie shot. It's like, well, then turn the camera around, and show me what it is. Exactly, exactly. And we had a, you know, we we when I first got the script from my manager, and it was kind of pitched to me. It was pitched to me, you know, more like a Blair Witch movie, where it was like the whole thing was found footage, and everything was going to be told from the kind of the ghost hunting perspective. And I wasn't crazy about that. I, I, I have all the respect in the world for uh, for found footage movies, especially two that come to mind. One is called The Taking of Deborah Logan, which is like a genius film. If you haven't if you haven't seen it or your audience hasn't seen it, mm-hmm. it's incredible. Um, Adam Robitel, who directed the Escape Room, who he's directing the Escape Room movies, and he did he wrote one of the Paranormal Activities. He he wrote and directed it, and it is just it is a genius film. Uh, and then the other one, another one, the original Paranormal Activity scared me just half to death and so (laughs) i have i have a ton of respect for those films uh but i'm it's as as like a filmmaker they don't really you know it doesn't really not something i'm i'm super excited about so but but i wanted to have an element of that so we just kind of we decided visually my dp and i just to kind of flip the script and so the idea was the narrative stuff the stuff that we're watching as the audience and the year involved in is shot sort of freestyle and handheld we didn't have any tripods or anything like that on set it was, you know, to, to kind of give you this idea of, though, it, even though it's still traditionally shot, it's you're, you're kind of there with them, you know. It's it's a little bit more freestyle. Mm-hmm. But then when they go into the found footage element, instead of that, like, classic shaky cam, like, running through the woods and you as the audience member can't see anything, we wrote in there that they had these new gimbal cams. And so Jack turns it on, and all of a sudden you're just kind of, like, very splinkly going through the camp and it's very creepy like you're on kind of a dolly that sort of classic horror pov mm-hmm. that you get uh you know in, in 80s horror movies and stuff like that and it became a really a scary tool that 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 scene where jack is in the beginning is there's a nice tension build up and then we have another scene with uh daniel harris who plays angela and she does it and i i honestly when i got into post i was like man i should have done that more because it was a really effective storytelling tool yeah of, of, of building up tension and stuff like that and it's just the way that they're lit too right because you have a small circle yeah. of light and then the rest is kind of all yeah. darkness and, all falls off yeah right and there's all kinds of woods and things that are around them uh so it's hard to like there could be something anywhere basically anywhere, <laughs> so, yeah, right absolutely. and so as they moving forward you're like oh, i don't know about this and then you mentioned like that scene with uh danielle harris like there's the swings and stuff like that that start to move yeah. and be activated like yeah. you said the creepy kids kind of playing yes Oh, and that's, and that's what I wanted, you know, we had, there was kind of two, two levels. The script is, when I got it from Alex, it was, was a, a, probably a little bit darker. And I'm, I'm certainly known for more of my horror. I'm kind of known as like horror light, you know, like I, I, I don't get too, too crazy. My stuff's a little on the, uh, 
on the tamer side. And uh, but but it worked out perfectly because um, Joe Dante was our executive producer, and he did Gremlins and uh, the Howling and the Burbs and stuff like that. And so there's you know even even in his more hardcore stuff, like you talk about the Howling and stuff like that. There's a there's kind of an inherent innocence to Joe's stuff, you know, and mm-hmm. um, and I wanted to like capture that. And so when we started coming up with the gag for the movie uh, with the campers, I wanted the I wanted the campers to to do gags that little kids would do, you know. So there's a there's a scene where Kevin gets uh, Kevin gets messed with in one of the cabins, and they oh, yeah. tie his shoelaces together. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with uh, same thing with Danielle is that she's in this you know big kind of like this recreation area of the park and these swings start to swing and this little ghost runs behind her and tells her she's it and stuff like that and it's just this idea that like to them this is absolutely terrifying and to these kids that probably don't even know they're dead they just they're just having a good time you mm-hmm. know kids are kids kids are kids even even in the afterlife yes i want to pick up on something you've already said which is that you you worked as an editor uh on a number yeah. of reality shows uh you worked on like flavor of love that's the flavor of Flav show uh, yes, sir. Uh, Rock of Love, uh, the Brett Michael Show, I Love Money on VH1. Yeah. Is, is there a similarities how you edit these TV shows to horror movies? The way that you got to handle the suspense, the reveal, uh, you got to balance drama with tension. Are there kind of similarities in terms of like how you approach the editing of a horror movie to yeah, a reality abso- show? Absolutely. I mean, it's not like I mean the techniques vary and stuff like that, but. I feel really blessed that I came up in reality television and it's funny we get kind of, you know, in in the circles of in the circles of entertainment I don't think that reality television is looked at in the kind of the same reverence as as as, as narrative work is. Mm-hmm. But I feel completely blessed because the thing about reality is that you are writing, you know, you are basically going out and capturing an idea and then you're writing the story in post production. And so as an editor in reality television, I wasn't you know, be like, here's the script, here's the footage, now make it interesting. It was, here's what we're trying to sell, do whatever you can to do this, or we don't really like the way this is going, so I need you to manipulate the footage in a way that, it, that you're saying this. And so it really taught me to just use anything I could get my hands on, reaction shots, cutaways, using outtakes and stuff like that to sell the idea of a story. And so I attack every movie in post-production with, it's not what's here, it's what can this be, you know, mm-hmm. and, that's, and that's the thing, is, like, my first film, I always tell this story, I had a, in a movie called Find Me, and I had this kind of creepy moment, and we were rushing to get it done, and when I started cutting it together, it was just, it just completely fell flat, nothing good about it, and I was, I was so bummed, and then I remembered that the Saturday before, it was, like, one of our off days, we had done a makeup test of the, of the main actress in the ghost costume and makeup, because we wanted to see the ghost appeared in the daytime a lot. We wanted to just see how, you know, what we needed to do to make her still creepy, but in the daytime in the house. And that scene happened to be in the daytime. So I opened up all that footage of just us just effing around and shooting the ghost in these different locations. And there was one shot of the ghost all the way through the house because the, the, it was like this kind of ranch-style house that opened up from the living room through the kitchen to the next kind of section of the house. And we had her playing very long. So I took that shot, and then I have the, my main character go in, and she opens up this closet, and she pulls something out. And then when she closes the door, I cut. I did this hard cut to the ghost in the far doorway, and oh. it makes this nice little jump scare. Mm-hmm. And so it's like if I didn't edit reality TV, I never would have thought to just use some junk footage from, <laughs> you know, from Saturday. But 
but that's what it was. And then all of a sudden that moment became big. And so that's why, you know, reality editing is, and reality television is, it's a really, it's an amazing training ground uh, for storytelling because you're, 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 you're crafting a story after the fact. And that, that becomes very important in indie film, you know? Yeah. Well, especially like in a movie like Cam Colebrook where it's set in the, like the present, like reality TV is kind of like the illusion that it's all like happening to this, uh, to the like flavor flavor, whoever it is that you're working yeah. with. Right. And so it's like the same thing, like a horror thing happens almost literally, right? Like it's happening incident after incident and starts right. to escalate, right? And so it's like, yep. and it's the audience is the same way. They're just kind of reacting to these kind of like incidents and these moments and these reveals as this information kind of comes up. It's very much very yeah. similar. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, it, it is. There's, a, there's definitely, a lot of, uh, definitely a lot of parallels. Uh, and, and it's just, and it's creating... It's creating believability out of an unbelievable situation, you know. And that's so a good that's way to put it. Where they, yeah, that's where they're similar, you know. Yeah, and instead of Flavor Flav this time around, you had Chad Michael Murray and you had Daniel Harris. Yeah, it was Harris. close. It was yeah, it was very close between the two of them. I was it was between Flavor Flav and Chad Michael Murray, but I, I went with Chad. I felt like <laughs> I felt like that that was a better choice. No, but, yeah, we did. We did. We had both Chad and Danielle, and we were absolutely. Uh, I keep saying the word blessed, but we are absolutely blessed to have those two. And uh, Danielle, I've been a huge fan of forever, mm-hmm. and um, and Chad as well. I, you know, full disclosure, I was a I was more of a Dawson's Creek fan than One Tree Hill, but <laughs> he was on the creek, so it all yeah. it all worked out. But uh, they were both amazing, and it's just when you work with people that have been doing it for so long and as much as they have, they just they elevate everything from the cast to the crew because it's like their level of preparedness, professionalism, mm-hmm. the fact that, like, we never, we always were, like, two, three takes and we move on, two, three takes and we move on, because they're just, they're so good, and it's just, like, they deliver, and they always hit the right spot, they know exactly where the camera is, they know, you know, Danielle knows what is scary, what, you know, what she needs to do in every single moment, and uh, it was fantastic, and they're both just, and, and then to top it off, they're both just really great people, you know? Yeah, so I just want to pick up on that. Like, both of them have done some horror movies. Chad has done, like, uh, House of Wax. He did uh, Left Behind, yep. which is kind of horror. Sure. I think he did Haunting in Connecticut, too. Yeah. yeah. Danielle Harris has done a couple of Halloween movies, Urban Legend. So does yeah. ha- having that horror background, that kind of gives you a shorthand, makes it a little bit more easier so that the actors kind of know what you're going for, right? Because there's... This is not like a um, like a like we said before, where like Jason, where there's somebody kind of like a uh, serial killer slasher type movie. This is more like there's yep. ghosts and other things kind of happening. So that kind yeah, of background, no. that horror background, makes it easier as a shorthand, right? It makes it so much easier, and it makes it so much easier for me. I mean, the perfect example is you know Danielle has that. We we're talking about that scene in uh, in the in the kind of play area there. The whole idea of the way that shot plays out, and I don't want to give too much away. But the way that the shot and her reaction and kind of like these little things we did to emphasize it and stuff like that, those were all those were her idea. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, if we got this, you know, if we got if we got this little wind machine and we did this and this and then we come up at this exact point. I think, you know, I think it would be really scary. And I was like, cool, you know. And so it's <laughs> like she's been around the block. She knows. She knows how to create tension, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they were great. And they were great collaborators on set. And you know, it was. Um, yeah, it just made it just makes my job so easy, especially in an indie film where there's so many kind of outside problems that can arise and stuff like that. I never had to worry about 
once we, once the cameras were rolling, I knew I was always going to get exactly what I needed. You know, there, there were times when we'd kind of look at our, look at our schedule and, you know, wonder how we were going to get away with everything. But when they, when they move so well and everybody kind of steps up to the plate, you could just knock out scenes and, you know, a matter of hours. And it's just fantastic. Yeah. One of the things too, is there's always that thin line between comedy and horror. Uh, this one for the most part is a horror Although I noticed that when Jack, uh, who was played by Chad Michael Murray, when he's sorting through his mail, his address is 742 Evergreen Terrace. <laughs> That's right. That's yeah. right. <laughs> so you got a little Simpsons nod in there. I appreciate that. Yep. Yep. Well, we, you know, I, my, my favorite genre is comedy. I've done, I've directed two horror comedies. And like I said, even Coldbrook, which was darker in tone when Joe came on board to executive produce, I wanted to add a lightness to it. I, I always think that horror always needs a little brevity you need those moments to breathe and there are some really fun conversations that happen in the movie some good some good lines and stuff like that and again like because joe he 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 had paid so many like fun homages to to steven spielberg and gremlins if you watch like gremlins there's the the billboard of rock and ricky rialto and he's dressed up like Mm -hmm. temple like indiana jones and temple of doom uh i did i did um I did that too. And so there's uh, you know, if you are a Dante fan, there's probably like 15 or 16 nods to Joe in there. Uh, both of like, there's, there's lines that characters say that are like lines from his movies. There's some like, you know, there's a bunch of like stuff like in production design where you, if you, you look up and you're like, Oh, that was from Gremlins too. And stuff like that. And so that was, that was a lot of fun. So there's a lot of like insider, but, but the thing that I love is the stuff when they're, my my favorite scene, you know, outside of all those scare scenes, is the scene around the campfire because that's that actually the scene that Danielle talks about is a true story. So when my my producing partner and I were were scouting locations for uh, our movie uh, our our movie before the Funhouse Massacre, we were at the Mansfield Reformatory in Ohio where they shot like Shawshank Redemption. Uh, they've shot a ton of movies at this place. And we were in this kind of main cell block area, and the wind kicked up because it was the middle of wintertime, and the wind kicked up, and it, it sounded like werewolves just howling mm-hmm. through, you know, whatever, however the wind connected with, like, the, the, you know, the old building and the holes and the bars and everything like that. And it was terrifying, and it was just like that kind of, you know, those kind of, like, funny stories and stuff like that. I just, I like that, I like that lightness. It just, it just was a nice contrast to the scares. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Joe Dante a couple of times. How did he come into your life? Because that's a huge influence and like a huge yeah. person to have in your life and be working with. Yeah. So we, um, when, uh, when Funhouse Massacre came out on video, uh, my manager started just reaching out to producers, you know, with, you know, with, with my stuff and the movie and how it was doing and stuff like that. And, um, and Renfield Productions, which is Joe's company, um, they, they had gotten in touch with my manager and I met with uh, Joe's partner, Mark Allen, and Mark said, hey, man, we really love Funhouse. He's like, Joe is doing this kind of series of movies called Joe Dante Presents. And, you know, Joe, when he came up, he came up through Roger Corman. He was a, he tra- edited trailers for Roger. He directed Piranha for Roger. And, and Joe rightly points out, and he says it all the time, he's like, that was like a great training ground for filmmakers. And you see who came out of, you know, you see who came out of working with Roger Corman, you have Ron Howard, you have James Cameron, you have Joe Dante, you have all these guys that came out of working for Roger Corman. And he said, you know, we, we don't have that anymore, and I want to kind of create that. And so uh, Mark said, if you have a script uh, that you think would be great for us, let us know. And, you know, he's like, 
we basically we come on board, we we help you out, we put your name where you know Joe's name on it, it helps you with financing and stuff, you know, stuff like that. And uh, and so that's how it happened. And so when I found Camp Holbrook, I, I sent it to Mark, and he really liked it. And um, we just kind of took it took it from there. Is he going to be working on more films as a as a director? Do you know, or when you've talked to him? Yeah, yeah, he has. Um, you know, speaking of Corman, he has a, a passion project um, called The Man with Kaleidoscope Eyes, uh, which is all about Roger Corman. And it's kind was of, that Bill Hader? Yeah. So Bill, uh, Bill was I, I was or is still attached. Yeah, I remember something reading something about this. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I think Elijah Wood's company is the one that's um, that's trying to get financing for it and stuff like that. But and it had gotten close a few times before, and then and then didn't it didn't matriculate. I mean, it's it's you know it's one of those things where it's like even legends like Joe Dante have trouble getting certain films off the ground, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but. Uh, but I think it's a passion project for him, and he also directs a ton of TV. He does Hawaii Five-0. He does, I think he did Flash for a while and stuff like that. So, And then he has his Trailers from Hell website and stuff like that. So he's he's very active, and he's just he's such a kind guy. And, and you know, he when we first kind of sat down and I, you know, I asked him, like, you know, are you coming to Oklahoma? Like, how does this work? He goes, oh, no. He's like, I don't – he's like, I'm not here to get in your way. I'm not here to tell you how to do anything. He's like, I'm here to just support you and – I'll give you some notes and stuff like that. And that was it. It was like, he, he just, he let me go make the film. We came back, we watched the rough cut in his, in his screening room. And I was just sweating bullets. <laughs> and he was just, he was just super, he was just super nice. And he just, you know, he's like, Hey, this works. This doesn't work. Uh, here may be some ideas and stuff like that. And it was just, it, you know, you couldn't ask for, you know, it's a, it's kind of a dream scenario for a director um, to, to have that kind of, you know, have that kind of experience giving you uh giving you advice but not feeling like you know in any way he had to like take over anything you know yeah we've kind of lost some of that mentorship with like you mentioned like roger corman yeah. like what joe was doing it's yep. almost like you just uh it's almost like they just kind of expect filmmakers now just have to figure out how to make a movie just kind of go do it like there's no mentorship it's 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 a really it, it's such a strange time and it's a very strange time to be making films because on one hand there's never been a better time to be an independent filmmaker because the resources have never been more attainable and more affordable. You know, you can take an iPhone and you can go with the proper technique and, and, and proper lighting and stuff like that. You can go make a great movie, you know, and, 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 you know, you know, it doesn't even have to be an iPhone. It can be a DSLR. Red cameras are extremely cheap, you know? And so there's a, there's not a crop, there's not a cost problem and distribution is not a problem. If you make a film, getting it out into the world, is not a problem anymore. That used to be like the golden ticket is, oh, I got my film, I got my film distributed by somebody. That is, that is not a challenge anymore. You can distribute the film yourself. There's outlets galore. The problem is, is that it's never been a harder time to be an independent filmmaker because there's so much content. And to be able to monetize that and be able to pay your investors back has never been more difficult. You know, with, with VHS and then into DVD, media, physical media, had a really nice markup, right? Mm-hmm. And so your films would do, you know, there was a mark for, and when Joe was coming up through Corman, it was the drive-in market. So the drive-in market segued into VHS, VHS segued into DVD, and now we don't have that segue anymore. You know, physical media is getting less and less, and VOD, VOD does not make up the, the difference because it's, it's just, it's the, 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 the ratio to what a filmmaker takes to what, the distributor takes is just silly and um so it's a difficult 
to then get your movie out, cut through all the traffic, you know, all the all the noise of all these other films, and then also have the film become, uh, you know, not even profitable, but even break even is 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 a daunting task. So it's a challenge in that regard. Um, and I think that the nice middle ground is the streaming services as far as mid-tier movies. Like, I'd like to, like, you know, hopefully Coldbrook catches somebody's eye and then I could, like, segue into doing something for Bloomhouse over at Hulu for their Into the Dark series or Netflix. And the nice thing about that is that it, it allows the filmmaker to tell a story they want to tell, but the pressure is not is not like if you if this movie doesn't do extremely well, then you're never going to make a movie again. And that's that's what's been missing is that you see all these indie filmmakers, they make this kind of indie film, it gets to Sundance, and then the next thing you know, they're they're directing a, a you know a huge studio tentpole where they just they have they have no power to do anything. You know, it's just yeah. it's just movie by it's movie by committee. And and for for young filmmakers to try to navigate that, some do well and some and some don't. And so I think that we're we're coming into an era with with the streaming services where that, that middle ground is, is happening again, where you can make a cool indie, it gets noticed. And then all of a sudden you're doing something, you know, sort of mid tier on a, on a Netflix or a Hulu. So I'm, 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 I'm optimistic that that that's going to be where that, that lack of physical media and stuff like that uh, will segue is that, you know, if you make a movie, even if it doesn't make a ton of money, hopefully you get recognized. So you get to go make something, uh, you know, <laughs> something that, that more people will see. You know, does does genre then help in that factor in that decision too? Like, because horror has a huge community, obviously, right? Absolutely. If you make something for that community and it's good, they will love you and support you. Yeah, yeah, and that's why I love. Like, it's one of those things. Like, I like I said, I'm a huge comedy fan. I got in film to do to do comedies and stuff like that. I I very again kind of started with started with horror for that reason is that it was it was easier to get a horror movie made you didn't really have to rely on, on name actors as much but what i fell in love with in horror was the community i mean i love horror fans they're just they're the kindest and just most most fervent fan base that there is in cinema and you know every time we go to horror hound every time we go to one of these conventions or anything like that the people you meet are just they're amazing and i you know for that reason i just i'll keep making horror movies i'll keep making horror movies forever because they're they're amazing and yeah there there is a, a a fan base and i always say that the horror fans are they're unique to movie fans is like most general movie fans want to go into a movie they want to love it you know you go to whatever you're going to take your wife to on a friday night you're like Ooh, i hope this movie's good mm-hmm. and horror fans are kind of the opposite because there's so many bad horror movies horror fans generally go into a movie wanting to hate it they're like all right how am I going to tear this son of a bitch apart? Yeah. And then if you win, but if you win them over, if it's a story that they find compelling, <laughs> they will be like, they'll have your back forever, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I've been really lucky to like meet people that saw my first film and, and, you know, continue on and watch and watch all my films and buy my stuff and promote my stuff. And, uh, you know, uh, they're, they're a great community in that regard. How did horror movies come into your life? What was the gateway horror movie that got you hooked? The first one, there's two that, um, there's two that like really like affected me as a as a kid. I wasn't my 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 folks were pretty protective of me, so I didn't get to watch a lot of horror movies until until later, which is why I think I'm still scared of horror movies. Like <laughs> my wife won't go to the theater with me to a horror movie because I still hide my eyes, and it's, <laughs> it's, it's rather embarrassing. And my yeah. wife, my wife her grandfather uh, owned this like drive-in movie theater in the Philippines when she was a kid and he used to get all the horror movies, you know? 
And so she is completely non-affected by horror movies. She just like, she'll just sit there and watch them stone face. And I'm like, what's happening? What's going on? My go-to is I, I always wear a hat to horror movies yeah. and I just pull the hat over my eyes if it gets scary. Uh, but I, that's, I guess I think why I love them. But the two that nailed me as a kid, the first was this, and you're going to laugh at me. It was a Disney movie called Watcher in the Woods. Have you ever seen it? No. What is this one? Tell me. Tell so, me. So Disney, Disney did a lot of like live action. They did Apple Dumpling Game and Herbie Rides Again and stuff like that. But they did a haunted house movie called The Watcher in the Woods. I think it was Joan Crawford was in it, Ooh. if I'm not mistaken. And it is effing terrifying. It's very <laughs> scary. Great jump scares, yeah. great visuals and stuff like that. And I saw it at my buddy Evan Gibbard's birthday party. And his mom, I think, had rented it as like, well, this will be safe. We all wanted like a scary movie. And so she's like, well, this should be safe enough. And I remember there's just some terrific jump scares in this movie. And uh, I remember being very scared. And then the second one is, uh, I think it was the same year, uh, is the original Halloween. Our, our local theater, Movie Land, had a 16-millimeter print of Halloween. And every Halloween, they would play it at, like, 10 o'clock. And so, and they would let, like, like we would get to go trick-or-treating, and then they just let, if we had a permission slip from our mom, they would let us into the theater with all our candy and all of our friends, and we got to watch Halloween. And, you know, Michael Myers on the big screen in that first one, there's just, oh, there's so many moments that just absolutely yeah. just get me and they still, and they still get me. And that's, I think that's of the slasher is still my, my favorite franchise to be sure. And uh, yeah, so those two movies, those two movies definitely uh, got me. And uh, yeah, Halloween for sure. Cause of that iconic soundtrack too. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's just, it, it, it just chills your bones. Yeah. Uh, to this day, the moment the moment you hear it, and um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, that one that one just got me. I just I just I'll never forget sitting in that theater watching that with my friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, Disney's been bringing back a lot of these older movies now because they have Disney Plus, so it'll be interesting to see if they dust off that one. Dude, I hope they do. It's not on there. I've already checked. Okay, uh, I, but I but I hope they do. I think you can get it though on DVD. I think it, I th- I've seen it. At, I've seen it at like video stores and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But yeah, it was it was a really good one. It was a really good one. I need to, I need to get it. But yeah, I hope that Disney Plus. Uh, I hope Disney Plus brings it back. There was quite a bit of um, in the seventies and eighties. Disney did quite a bit of horror movies. They cranked out a number of them. Did they really? Yeah, there was like uh, uh, the one I think was called the Boogeyman. And um, the family ended up sucking the boogeyman into a vacuum at the end. So it, was, it got a little. No, dude. Oh my god, I gotta watch that. I gotta watch that. <laughs> it's a little Disneyish. Like own documentary. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah. Um. They had the um. They had that cartoon with the uh. What do you call it? The uh. Ichabod Crane and the um. The... Dude. Yeah. Sleepy Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Yeah, that that's what I couldn't remember. That's yeah. A really good one. Yeah, yeah. So I they had that. a little bit of like I think there was some guy that they just randomly hired. He's like, let's do horror, and then they, yeah. they cranked a whole bunch under like, no, let's. I think we should just stick with the Herbie Lovebug movies. Right, right, exactly. They're yeah. like, listen, Davy Crockett, and that, that's you know, <laughs> Davy Crockett fights off zombies. Yeah, that'll be that'll be the next one. That'll be great. So Camp Cobra comes out on February 14 uh, on video demand and in cinemas. That's correct. Yeah, uh, limited theatrical. Um, and I think we have, uh, I think we have on our Petri website posted where what theaters it's in. Uh, but then it's available VOD everywhere else, and then um, it's going to come out in DVD in April. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's actually up for uh, everything's up for pre-order on on Apple Vudu for VOD, and uh, you know under the other VOD sites as well. And then it's uh, the, the DVD and Blu-ray are up for uh, 
uh, pre-order on Amazon right now. And, and definitely, I mean, as a lover of the physical media, you know, I'd say get it on iTunes. But but if if you love us, get it on the get the Blu-ray because we have some great uh, uh, special features. Um, we did audio commentary of the film with Mark Allen, uh, Joe Dante, Daniel Harris, and Alex Carl, the writer. Uh, I have a blo- I have a Haunt Squad blooper reel that's a lot of fun. Oh, nice! Um, that has a great uh, a great moment where we uh, we were uh, we were we were poking fun at the at the uh, filmography of uh, of Danielle Harris. Um, <laughs> so that's it's a, it's a really good uh, really good moment. And then uh, and then we have this great section. Uh, the writer and I, Alex Carl, sit down. When we were uh, we were doing like a podcast, and we sit down and we talk about. You know, kind of the thing about like the movie, you sh- the right movie you shoot, and movie you edit, and how it changed from his script to the way we shot it to the way we edited the film. And you know, uh, there's 10 minutes of the film that uh, that you'll that's never before seen, but it was actually the opening of the film. So the opening of the film mm. was was what happened at the camp yeah. uh, in one big in one big chunk. And I loved I loved it so much, and we shot it, and I shot it very much. I shot it different stylistically than the rest of the movie. I shot it like Joe Dante would shoot it, like an 80s movie. And so it's, it's kind of classically shot with the blue light and, like, you know, like kind of the blue moonlight. And we have, like, the dolly. It's on dollies and sticks and steady cam and stuff like that. And it was just kind of like me being like, hey, this is the way Joe would do it. This is the way I'm doing it. And, I, and uh, ultimately when we got into the edit, um, it just story-wise didn't work. It gave, it gave a little too much of the legend away. And so it made the rest of the movie fall flat. And so we took those elements, we we cut them up and we put them into uh, the flashback scenes, which work much, much better. But you get to see that first 10 minutes on the, on the, on the Blu-ray. And speaking of like physical media, like when Funhouse Massacre came out, a lot of people end up becoming uh, doll face uh, cosplay, doing doll face cosplay. It's, I mean, like, listen, I, if I never win an award for anything, like, uh, I, just the fact that people will text me and be like, oh, I was dollface for Halloween. And like, I, there was a, there was a woman in Australia that texted me and she had gotten dollface tattooed on herself. Wow. Uh, and stuff like that. Like, I mean, that's like, I can't, I can't ask for a bigger compliment as a storyteller than people committing, committing an image to their skin, you know, in Mm -hmm. perpetuity. Uh, it's just, um, yeah, man, I, I, I love that we've created these characters that people uh, identify with, and, and, and Funhouse Massacre has is slowly becoming this kind of fun cult hit, and I have people hitting me up every year saying, we watch this, this is one of our new Halloween traditions and stuff like that. And um, That's yeah, a big I, honor there, to like be part of a Halloween tradition. Huge, huge. And it just, you know, I feel, I feel so lucky to have gotten to make fun films that, that resonate with people. Uh, and they stick, you know, and they stick with people. I remember, you know, uh, when we were doing uh, Horror Hound, and Joe and I were sitting at the table. He was doing, he was signing uh, before the screening and stuff like that. And this this young man came up to him and he goes, you know, my my dad and I, we don't see eye to eye on a lot. We don't get along. And he goes, but every Christmas he and I sit down and we watch Gremlins together. That's our tradition. That's mm-hmm. what. And I'm and I, and Joe's so like Joe's like. He's so like he's so nonchalant about stuff. I think he's very like I think he's very like unimpressed with his own success and stuff like that. Uh, and he was like, "Oh, that's so nice. I'm so happy." And I'm sitting over here like tears like streaming down my <laughs> face to be like, if somebody came up to me and said that, I just I don't even know what I would do, you know. And I think that as as storytellers, we have um, we have that capacity. And I, I can't think of any I can't think of any greater honor, you know. Mm-hmm. You want to give the website or some of the social media where people can find uh, Camp Colebrook? 
Yeah, absolutely. Check out Facebook. Uh, check out P- Petrie Entertainment, uh, P-E-T-R-I Entertainment, like the dish. Uh, and that'll give you all the good deets on Camp Colebrook. Um, I'm at Petrie Andy on Twitter and at Director Andy Palmer on Instagram. And, uh, yeah, just head over to iTunes, head over to Voodoo, head over to Amazon, and uh, click that uh, click that pre-order button because it is, uh, it's, it's huge for us. And, um, and then, uh, you know, I don't, uh, I don't know if uh, anybody knows, but I have another movie coming out this year uh, called Witness Infection, another horror comedy. Uh, and we premiere at the uh, Haw Comedy Arts Festival in San Antonio in uh, February 20th. So if you uh, guys are in uh, in San Antonio and you want to take a break from the Alamo tour, come watch our come watch our movie. Nice. And you're also working on a Michael Jackson documentary. I am. I start that on uh, the 24th. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, who is that so. company, or is that uh, who? Can you mention yeah, about that at all, or? I, yeah, I can't, I can't, too, I can't say too much about it because it's, you know, we haven't even, we haven't even started yet. But I'm, I'm editing it, and uh, I'm excited to hop on board. I don't, I don't, other than just, you know, having talked with the, uh, the executive producer uh, very briefly and stuff like that. But I'm, I'm excited to get, get started on it. I'm, I'm interested to see what, uh, what we're going to talk about with it. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think we covered like the big things, right? We covered that uh, you could survive, potentially survive Camp Colebrook. Uh, yes. That it's coming out on uh, February 14 in limited release and on uh, video on demand. And that when you had a choice between Flavor Flav and Chad Michael Murray, you decided to go with Chad Michael Murray as your lead. Yeah, boy. <laughs> I did. I had, to, I, had to, I had to go with Chad. Not, not that I don't love Flav. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he'll work with Flav down the road again. He'd be great for a horror movie. Absolutely. He'd be fantastic. He'd be fantastic. I think we knocked it all out. That was uh, very good. Okay, great. Sammy, you're the man. There you go. All right, thank you so much. Have a good night. Thanks, Sammy. Appreciate it, brother. All right, man. Bye. Yep, so that was my conversation with director Andy Palmer, who, as we said, the movie's Camp Colebrook. It'll be coming out Valentine's Day. It's always good to kind of uh, take your lady friend out for a nice date and then get a little bit of scare and terror. You can talk to me about PRP on uh, Instagram, on Facebook, and on the Twitter. They're all my pal Sammy for all three. My pal Sammy. Thanks for listening to me in a Netflix world. Horror movies, yo.